0: according to the word change me from glory to glory and I boldly say I will never ever be the same again in Jesus name amen praise God amen we are continuing our study I don't have a release in my spirit to stop yet it's on attitude this is number 6 and our main text has been Ephesians chapter 4 verse 23 from the uh, living Bible the living translation of the Bible It says, now your attitudes and thoughts must all be constantly changing for the better. Are we getting that down to our hearts? That my attitudes and my thoughts need to constantly be changing for the better. Why? Because God's ways and thoughts are not our ways and thoughts. They're much higher than ours are. And when we first get saved, thank God we're washed in the blood of the Lamb. But you know, we're just beginning our walk with the Lord. And you know, we may bring some old baggage with us. Some attitudes that we had along the way of life. And so they have to always or constantly be changing for the better. Now the Stanford Research Institute reports that 12.5% of one's success in life is determined by knowledge. But the other 87.5% comes from attitude. Think about that. Attitude. If you've got a bad attitude, it doesn't matter how much knowledge you have, you can still jeopardize your success in life. There was a preacher who was very successful, extremely successful in the beginning of his ministry but he had a terrible attitude when it came to people skills and dealing with other people. As a result, he went from extreme success to failure in his life because no one could stand his attitude. And we've all been there before not saying we all have the best attitude but it has to be constantly changing for the better you've got to develop right people skills if you're going to deal with people now there's only one that I can think of that uh, was a success in having a bad attitude that's the pizza Nazi over in Aliquippa <laughs> you've been there huh I'll just give you a quickie <laughs> never, doesn't have a, never had a phone he sold a business by now never had a phone never called for an order for a piece of pizza if you walked in the door you had to walk in like a schoolboy, and you couldn't turn right go to the counter you had to turn left walk over to the left and sit down on the chair and don't say a word until you're spoken to all the rules and regulations were listed all over all up there so for you to see you can see them all right there if you broke those rules you were asked not asked you were told get out kicked out and one time this one fellow was um coming in to get his pizza because he was so excited because the uh, Penguins, they were in a Stanley Cup final. That's when Lemieux was playing. And they're in a Stanley Cup final and they're winning the game. And so he ran down there to get some pizza. And he goes down there and walks in. Starts to abide by the rules. Then he looks over and he sees the TV that uh, he had on. They called him Chubby by nickname. And said, Chubby, would you mind turning? He was watching WWE while he was making his pizza. And he said, would you mind turning the station so I can see the penguins they're playing right now when they're in the Stanley Cup finals? (laughs) Chubby said, did you buy that TV? Who does it belong to? He said, well, it's yours, Chubby, it's yours. You want to watch the penguins? Next time you send your big fat wife to come over here and get the pizza and you stay home and watch it. That was one of many. I was actually there. One, I was so scared. <laughs> one time he rang the cowbell on us. Not me. The ones I brought. I, just, I knew. I sat down in the chair. You're quite, if you order three slices, you're out the door. Only two, four, six, only even numbers. If you ask him for something that's on, on the menu, you're out the door. Out the door. In a flash, just like that. He was in business for about 60 years and was very successful. I have no idea how. (laughs) I can give you story after story after story after story, but I won't do that. How many know Charles Swindoll? Okay. His comment was, and I quote, the attitude I choose keeps me going on or cripples my progress. So when my attitude, when I choose the right attitude or my attitudes are right, He said, there's no barrier too high, there's no valley too deep, and there's no dream too extreme. So whether it's a college institute or a preacher, an author, they understand and know the importance of attitude if we want to succeed in life. Now, if God is speaking to us and saying our attitudes ought always to be changing for the better... What does he use to measure? This? What standard does he use to measure whether or not we're making progress in our attitude? There has to be some kind of a measuring stick, wouldn't you say? So that we can know that we're growing and know that we're developing. Well, let's find out. In the book of Amos, chapter 7, someone says, Where's that at? Go to Joel and turn right. You'll find it. Verse 7. Thus he showed me and behold the Lord stood upon a wall made by a plumb line with a plumb line in his hand. And the Lord said unto me Amos what seest thou? And I said a plumb line. Then said the Lord behold I will set a plumb line in the midst of my people Israel and I will not again pass by them anymore. Now a plumb line if you're in construction you know it's use. You've got this line with the Plumb at the bottom of it, they call it a bob, and usually it comes to a point, and it's weighted, and so if you run that line from top to bottom, what it will do two things. Sometimes it's used to plumb the depths to find out how the depth, how deep the water is, or it can be used to make certain that your structure is vertical, straight up and down. How many of you heard of the Leaning Tower of Pisa? If it wasn't leaning, it would just be the Tower of Pisa. A bell tower is what it was constructed to be. Why is it such a popular site where tourists go and visit? Because it's leaning and at the beginning it was leaning by over 15 feet. Hard to imagine isn't it? Now since they did a little bit of work on it it's 12 feet. But if you were to run a plumb line from top to bottom. In other words like this that thing would be 12 feet on the top, out of square. How important is it to see to it that we have a vertical structure? Okay? Well, we know that there has to be a plumb line that God uses as a guide or a standard to determine whether or not our lives are upright and vertical. Metaphorically speaking, he's talking about a standard that he uses to judge his people whether it's their belief system, whether it's their attitudes of their behavior. Who do we line up to? Who do we line up with? What example can I follow? What's the model? Now have any of you ever laid a floor? Tile? Squares? What's the most important one that you lay? The very first one. Because if that thing's not straight, if it's crooked Everything's going to line up to it, right? Okay, same thing is true spiritually. Jesus is God's plumb line. We're going to see that. Look at the book of Isaiah, chapter 28, verses 16 and 17. Jesus is God's plumb line. You could say standard by which he reveals to us what his standard is for our attitudes, our belief system, our behavior, our conduct, our character. It says, Therefore, thus saith the Lord God, Behold, I lay in Zion for a foundation a stone. Who laid the first stone? God Almighty. Notice this a tried stone, a precious cornerstone, a sure foundation. He that believeth shall not make haste. Judgment also will I lay to the line, and righteousness to the plummet. And the hell shall sweep away the refuge of lies and the water shall overflow the hiding place. So as we look at what he's saying here here's what we discover. Jesus is God's foundational standard upon which we build our lives and upon which he judges what we believe. And he judges our behavior. He judges our attitudes. The very first thing it says the stone the stone is number one, and that is the foundational standard. And to show you that this is exactly who He is, is Jesus. Look at First Peter, in chapter two. As this is from the New Living Translation, as the scriptures say, I am placing a cornerstone in Jerusalem, chosen for great honor, and anyone who trusts in Him will never be disgraced. Yes. You who trust in him recognize the honor God has given him. But for those who reject him the stone that the builders rejected has now become the cornerstone. And he is the stone that makes people stumble. The rock that makes them fall. They stumble because they do not obey God's word. And so they meet the fate that was planned for them. So now we see that Jesus is the chief cornerstone. And as the chief cornerstone... He sets the standard for what we believe, for our attitudes, and for our behavior. Secondly, he said he's tried, a tried stone. Now, that is reference back to Adam. Adam was tried in the very beginning, and he failed. He came short of God's purpose for his life. And as a result, he brought into this world through his disobedience, all the upheaval that we experience in life today. But Jesus came as the second or the last Adam we should say. The last Adam and he is a tried stone to make sure that he is the proper stone. So tried means that Jesus was tempted, tested, and tried just like Adam was in the very beginning. And you know the amount of temptation. You know when he was tested, tempted, and tried by the devil to throw himself down, to turn uh, the stones into bread, all that. Well Jesus passed the test. He was tried and found what? obedient so the first Adam was disobedient the second or the last Adam was obedient to do the will of God so he sets the standard so he is the stone that's been tried but then also it goes on to say number three he is a precious cornerstone why precious because all the other stones are going to be set in place in reference to the cornerstone so if the cornerstone is off Everybody else is going to be off. We got these people out there in the world to say there's more ways you can get to God. Don't believe it for one moment. There's only one chief cornerstone, and He is precious. Yes, His blood is precious. Praise God. And we thank God for His shed blood. But He's the precious cornerstone because everybody lines up to Him. He's God's plumb line. So if our lives are out here like this, now inwardly we're perfect in Christ. But when you first come to Him, Your attitudes, my attitudes, your thoughts, my thoughts have to change for the better. Because if I go on thinking that I could live the way I want to live and do what I want to do and act the way I want to act with no regard to the plumb line, I'm going to be built like this. I'm going to be like a leaning tower of Pisa. And it's not very long before it's going to fall. Some say give it 200 years, it's going to be, it'll fall. Some say it may never fall. But in the condition that it's in, it's not going to take a lot to bring it down. So he is the precious cornerstone. Number four, because everybody lines up to him, he is our sure foundation. Oh, beloved, I'll tell you what, they can build on anything out there that they want to but there's only one sure foundation upon which we can build our lives and be guaranteed that we are never, never going to fall or fail. Some of you young people that maybe are going off into college next year, I want you to know something right now. You're going to hear a lot of stuff out there from all kinds of professors out there that don't believe in God. Some are atheists. Some think they have all kind of different views about religion and that sort of thing, but don't buy into it. Don't fall for it. I want you to know there's only one sure foundation upon which you can build your life and if you'll stay upon that sure foundation praise God that has been laid in your life whether it's by your parents coming to church hearing uh, pre- preachers teach and preach whether it's on TV whatever you're going to succeed you're not going to fail so when your buddies come up to you and just say hey do this that and the other thing doesn't matter doesn't matter don't buy into it for one second don't buy into it There's only one sure foundation and it's the mind of Christ. It's the attitude of Christ. And we're going to explore his attitudes in just a moment. But remember he's the only sure foundation. Tested, tried by God the Father and found to be trustworthy, faithful and true and perfectly obedient. And now justice is the line and righteousness is the plummet. So if justice is the line and righteousness is the plummet, if we all line up to God's judgment and righteousness, then we're going to be vertical. Remember he told Abraham, walk uprightly. Don't take a crooked path, but walk uprightly before me and I will be El Shaddai. I will be the God that will deliver you. I'll surround you with my favor and my peace. I will become the strength of your life. I'll be your shield. I'll be your buckler. I'll be your exceeding great reward. Build your life upon me. So finally the storm is going to come. And they come to all of us. Whether we're tempted, tested, and tried by the enemy or the storms of life that come naturally to all of us. What's going to happen is the storm is going to determine what foundation we're building our lives on. Remember in Matthew chapter 7? When Jesus spoke after he finished the Sermon on the Mount, and he talked about the be attitudes, think about it be attitudes. These should be our attitudes. Be attitudes. Okay. After he got done, here's what he said Therefore, whosoever hears these sayings of mine and doeth them, why? Because he is the plumb line. Because what he says is what's more important than anything you're going to hear in college somewhere from a professor who's an atheist. What he has to say is proven. It's a sure foundation. And doeth them, notice, doesn't just hear him, but doesn't. I will liken him unto a wise man which built his house upon a rock, the stone, the cornerstone. And the rain descended, the floods came, and the winds blew. Remember he said the hailstorm will come and beat upon that house and it fell not why it was founded upon a rock he's not talking about houses he's not talking about cottages he's talking about your life he's talking about my life what i build my life on is going to stand or going to fall depending on the materials that i use then he goes on to say everyone that hears these sayings of mine and doesn't do them shall be likened unto a foolish man which built his house upon sand And the rain descended, and the floods came, and the winds blew, and beat upon that house, and it fell, and great was the fall thereof. Okay, why did it fall? It was not built upon the plumb line. The sure foundation tried to be obedient and true. So in other words, you could build your life on a lot of things that are out there. We can have attitudes that says, this is what my life is all about. This is what my pursuit is. This is what my dream is and all that. But I guarantee you right now there's only one sure foundation. When you build your life upon the foundation of the word of God and you have an attitude that perfectly reflects the attitude of Christ, then you're going to have a sure foundation. And he's not talking about materials like whether you're using vinyl siding or brick and mortar. He's talking about our attitudes. He's talking about our belief system. He's talking about our behavior. Why we live the way we live. Why we talk the way we talk. Why we act the way we act. The attitude that we have toward life. Toward people. Toward God. Toward everything else that we encounter in life. And so the storm's going to come to every single one of us. Whether it's sickness. Whether it's disease. Doesn't matter what the storm is. The storm is going to eventually come expose the, fo- the foundation we have and the materials that we use now if you recall in 1 Corinthians chapter 3 when the apostle Paul was talking about building upon this foundation some use brick, uh, some use gold, silver, and precious stone He said, but some use wood, hay, and stubble in other words their concern is more about earthly things earthly things but gold, silver, precious stone you're more concerned about eternal heavenly things And one day everything that we build is going to be tried by fire. And all the things that were built upon wood, hay, and stubble will be burned away. We'll be saved, but we'll just have no reward. But for those of us who live our lives in such a way as to honor and please God, that'll stay. So in other words, we shouldn't just be living our lives in the natural. Having personal goals in the natural. But he's saying we should have our lives in the eternal perspective. Is this something that will last forever? Now... With all that as a backdrop, let's explore the attitudes of Christ. In the book of Philippians chapter 2 beginning at verse 3. And I believe this is from the Lou Living Translation. We have a revelation here given to us by the Apostle Paul of the attitudes that Jesus displayed when he was here upon the earth. And I want you to notice as we reveal them that they came to him by Jesus himself. Because Jesus taught Paul the gospel. Everything that he knew Jesus taught him. And so we're also going to look at it this way. If Jesus revealed these things to Paul. He should have revealed them earlier to his disciples. And we're going to show that he did. Don't be selfish. Don't try to impress others. Be humble thinking of others as better than yourselves. Don't look out only for your own interest. But take an interest in others too. You must have the same attitude. Everybody say it with me. I must have the same attitude that Christ Jesus had. Wow. Pretty powerful, wouldn't you say? Someone might be saying, well, that was him. I know that. But we're supposed to have the same attitude. If we're supposed to have the same attitude, it's apparent to me that it must be attainable. It must be doable. He wouldn't direct us to do anything that we can't do. Okay. Okay. He didn't say you're going to be perfect, but he said this should be your attitude. Though he was God, he did not think of equality with God as something to cling to. Instead, he gave up his divine privileges. He took the humble position of a slave and was born as a human being. When he appeared in human form, he humbled himself in obedience to God and died a criminal's death on a cross. Therefore, God elevated him to the place of highest honor. And gave him the name above all other names, that at the name of Jesus every knee shall bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue declare that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Now, if it's true that attitude determines altitude, and it's true that Jesus was elevated or exalted to the highest position in all the universe, if we follow his attitude, what will happen to us? We're not going to be exalted and elevated if we're full of pride and arrogance. And we'll see that in just a moment. But anyhow, number one, the first thing that we have revealed to us here is that he was selfless or unselfish, you can say. Well, did Jesus anywhere when he was here on this earth teach this to his disciples, his followers? I believe so. Look in Matthew's gospel, chapter 16, verse 24. Then said Jesus to his disciples if any man will come after me let him pursue all that he wants for himself to let him what? Let him what? See coming to Christ and following Christ is following his teaching and he said being selfish is not what he's about. He said deny yourself, take up your cross and follow me. For whosoever will save his life shall lose it. Whosoever will lose his life for my sake shall find it. For what is a man profit if he gains the whole world and loses his own soul? What shall a man give in exchange for his soul? So number one on the list to line up to the plumb line. Every single one of us needs to do something about having our thoughts and attitudes change for the better with regard to how selfish are we? And I'll be honest with you, well that's a hard one. That hurts, doesn't it? That really gets down to quick, doesn't it? Why? Because in the beginning, who is the selfish one? Who said, "I will, I will, I will, I will exalt myself, exalt my throne. I will, I will be like the Most high God." And when man fell because of disobedience, it was due to selfishness. She was told God's holding back something from you. There's something more that's out there. Young person, if someone's telling you there's something a whole lot more out there for you, explore what you want to explore. Live the way you want to live. Throw caution to the wind. Sow your wild oats and all that. Don't buy it for one second. I'll be honest with you. Keep the door shut now. It's a whole lot easier to keep it shut if you leave it shut. You open that door a crack and the enemy has a foothold in, he'll put his foot in that door and put the pressure on you and put the pressure on you and put the pressure on you. No, he is saying that we should live lives, our lives unselfishly. In other words, God, I want you what you want for my life. Adam and Eve should have done that. And had they done that, we wouldn't be in the mess we're in here today. So let's not blame the Republicans, let's not blame the Democrats, let's not blame the independents, let's go back and blame Adam and blame Eve and say what were you thinking? There would have been one party, God's, amen, period. Think about it. Okay, so we shouldn't be selfish. We should live a God-centered life, not a self-centered life. I'm not promoting myself, I want to promote God in me. That's exactly how we should live our lives. You say, but wait, wait a minute. Maybe I'm way out here. Well, he knows that. But remember, unlike the leading tower of Pisa, he's got a lot of equipment to bring us back into line. So how am I going to line up with his with a plumb line? Oh, Lord, look at that. Help expose areas of selfishness in my life where I'm putting myself above everything else, especially you. I don't want to put myself up above what you want for my life. When I got called to go into the ministry, I'll be honest with you, it was a horrifying thing. It was a scary thing. It meant to leave everything behind that was security. Everything I felt as far as security was concerned, I had to leave it go. Leave my family, leave my hometown, leave my job, leave all my, everything that I had at that moment had to be given. Period. Why? Because I want to live for you, not myself. You know how many people walked away from the things of God and serving God because they weren't willing to do that, to take that step. Yes, in the natural, everything looked good. But you know what? That doesn't last long, and God knows. And what I thought was secure was gone within a few years. All my security would have been gone. The meal shut down, moved out. The plants were actually dismantled. Okay, number one, his first attitude that we have to line up with is what? Being selfless. Number two, he took on the attitude of a servant. Now this is hard for us to even think about. The son of God, when he came to this realm of life, he came to serve. He didn't come to be served, he came to serve. Go back to Matthew's gospel and look what, look what it says. But he that is greatest among you shall be your what? Okay, Here we have plumb line number two. Do I view myself as someone who is here to serve? On the inside, I believe God makes these deposits in us when we're first saved. I believe they're all there. But they've got to be worked out. Remember Paul said, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling? And for some I think it's easier than others. But I go back and use myself. When I first got saved, when I first came to Jesus... Without question, a servant's heart was placed within me. When I, first of all, studied God's word, I was willing to serve others by sharing the things that I learned. Teaching a simple little Bible study in my father's basement. And you don't realize that um, people just don't do things like that. Maybe more so now, but back then, no. And then, when it came to the church that I went to, I found I can serve a certain way. And I can serve by whether playing my guitar, which I did, or teaching a class, which I did. But I had within me a servant's heart that I believe has stayed with me over the years. We are to serve. When I did a, a, a Bible teaching up in Newcastle uh, for a group, the fellow that was before me, think, and I think about this, he had his entourage he was driven. Someone carried his briefcase. Someone carried his Bible. And I don't know if this is possibility or not. Probably had it 72 degrees in the car. And I thought, oh my. And so when you're trained that way and you think that way, they come up to me and said, can we carry your Bible for you? My response, no, but I'd like to carry yours. They looked at me like, what? Aren't you the anointed man of God? Come on. It's his anointing. It belongs to him. We're to honor him. You don't have to wait on me. I'm here to wait on you. I'm here to serve you. I'm here to bless you. I'm here to help you. I'll wash your feet. That was the attitude of Christ. But yet we all want to be served. In this generation, everybody wants to be served. We all want the accolades that come from people that are out there. You did a good job. You did this. And that's wonderful to hear. But the heart attitude that Jesus came with was one of a servant. And what does one who serves do? Performs activities for another. Another. Now some people think, well I'll get paid to be a servant, that's fine. But you know what? You ready for this? Your payment is off the charts. Your payment is off the charts. When you serve the living God who made heaven, earth and sea and all that in them is and your days of service are over, he's got something for you on the other side. I heard this just recently. Bear with me for a moment. One of those, you know, humorous things about people. Let's just say Tom Brady died and moved to heaven. And in heaven he was taken over by an angel to his cottage. He saw this cottage. It was pretty nice. But then he turned around and looked across the street. And he saw this huge mansion. Enormous mansion. The the driveway was black and gold. There was a (laughs) (laughs) he said there was a terrible towel flag hanging in the front yard everything the house was painted black and gold and all that and he stood there with a smirk on his face and said to the angel how come I get this little college and Roethlisberger gets this mansion he says that's not Roethlisberger's that's the Lord's <laughs> I should have said orange and brown <laughs> That's not Jimmy Brown's. That's not Jim (laughs) Brown's. God on the other side has so much for all of us if we serve him that it's off the charts. We can't begin to imagine, I have not seen neither as the ear heard or the heart received the things that God has prepared for them, that love him, honor him, obey him, serve him young person, it pays to serve the living God. You're going to go through the fire of test and trial, you're going to be ridiculed and mocked by your peers, they're going to laugh at you, you might even have professors laugh at you and just say, prove to me where your God is, show me where your God is. You stand there and just say, let the storm winds come and let them blow, I'm built upon a sure foundation he's alive from the dead show me an empty grave I'll show you the empty grave show me a grave and show me a body and I'll tell you who I believe in Hallelujah. hallelujah so don't you buy into it it pays to serve God number three his third attitude was that of being humble he was humble and you and I need to be humble we are to serve him, live for him, serve him, serve other people, and also maintain a humble attitude, one of humility. Go back to Matthew again. And look, this is Jesus teaching now. The very things that Paul's saying that we need to do, of that Jesus was, whosoever, are you a whosoever this morning? Shall exalt himself, shall be abased. Did Nebuchadnezzar exalt himself? Yes. Did God bring him down? Yes. Why? When a man refuses to humble himself, guess what? God, if he has to humble them, you don't want any part of that. When Nebuchadnezzar said, look at what I've done. Look how great I am. Look how big I am. Look at the, the kingdom that I've built and that I've made by myself, by my own doing. He says, you think that's right? One swipe of God's hand, one removal of his grace, the umbrella of grace is upon him. He became an animal for seven years, living in a wilderness until his hair grew out, his nails grew out. He was like an animal. I'm sure some kind of protection was there for him. And then finally after seven years he came to his senses and said whoa, only God can do all things. Who am I? He that humbles himself humbles himself, humbles whose responsibility is it to humble oneself? Shall be what? Exalted. know what that tells me? Jesus humbled himself. Jesus humbled himself can you man sitting there him sitting at the right hand of the majesty on high can you just envision this all that there is there in glory I mean I don't know all about it. I haven't seen it maybe Andrew got a glimpse of it I don't know but but just imagine the the son of God seated at the right hand of the majesty on high with all the the glories of the heavenly sphere when Isaiah saw the Lord high lifted up his train filled the temple the angels cried holy 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 all that to become a man to robe himself in flesh, to invade this world that we live in and walk in a body like we have. You talk about humbling yourself? Wow. We have no clue as to what that would be like. But he humbled himself and we have to humble ourselves. So get the plumb line out. Are you humble and proud of it? (laughs) Go back to the drawing board. (laughs) Okay, and next, obedience. His attitude was one of obedience. Look at Luke's gospel. Chapter 6, verse 46. Why call ye me Lord, Lord, and do not those things which I say? In other words, if I'm your Lord, then what I say is law. And what I say, you do. Right? Okay, read on further. John's gospel, chapter 14. Obedience. He that hath my commandments and keeps them, he it is that loves me. He that loves me shall be loved to my Father, and I will love him, and will manifest myself to him. Judas saith unto him, Not Iscariot, Lord, how is it that thou wilt manifest thyself unto us and not unto the world? Jesus answered and said unto him, If a man love me, he will keep my words, and my father will love him, and we will come unto him and make her our abode with him. He that loveth me not keepeth not my sayings. And the word which you hear is not mine, but the Father which sent me. So now, an attitude of obedience. Jesus suffered and obeyed. He learned obedience through the things that he suffered. That's why he can teach it to us. He had no clue what it was like until he became a man. And when he became a man, he suffered what we should have suffered. And so, when it comes to obedience, we're told it's better than sacrifice. And when it comes to obedience, we're told that's how we prove our love for the Father. And what does He mean by that it's better than sacrifice? What it means is this. God would rather that we don't do the wrong deed than have to do it and repent. So if we walk around with an attitude that says go ahead and do it you can repent later. Like that person that gave you a hard time, you like to smack him across the head once or twice and go ahead, smack him and then uh, repent later. That, that's not how it works. Not quite anyhow. No, God wants us to obey His laws, His statutes, His judgment and commandments. He's always been that way. Why? He's the Lord. He's God. So once again we take the plumb line. It's vertical. He says walk uprightly. And maybe when we first got saved we weren't used to doing all the things that scripture tells us that we ought to do. And we're over here leaning this way. We're leaning toward pride. We're leaning toward wanting to be served and catered to rather than wanting to serve. What are we supposed to be doing? Reeling us in. See what the word does? It it should be doing it to us this morning. What can I do to serve somebody today? Rather than wanting to be served. How can I cater to somebody else and be a blessing to somebody else? Rather than me with the attitude, I want to be blessed. Obey, obedience. Rather than repent, God this is what you'd have me to do. And that's what he wants us to do. To line up with the plumb line. And then the last one, sacrificial. And this is the one that's probably most heartrending for all of us. Look at Luke 18. Then Peter said lo we have left all and followed thee. And he said unto them verily I say unto you there is no man that hath left house, parents, or brethren, or wife, or children for the kingdom of God's sake who shall not receive manifold more in this present time and in the world to come life. So Jesus taught his disciples no matter what sacrifice you have to make it doesn't matter. You're going to get a whole lot more in this life and on the other side. Now who's our example? Who's the plumb line? Jesus. The sacrifice that he made. And what is a sacrifice? It means to give up something that you truly value for something that is even better. You give up something that you truly value for something that's even better. Now I can't imagine this but Jesus had everything as the second person of deity. He gave it all up, set it all aside. Well, what could be better? Well, see, the better was not for him necessarily, but the better was for us. Something he valued, he gave up to be a blessing to someone else. And that's what sacrifice really is all about. So what did he sacrifice? 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 21 says, He Made him to be sin for us who knew no sin. So we could be made the righteousness of God in Christ. What did he give up? A sinless condition. Think about this. He gave up a sinless condition. Why? For us. So that we could have a righteous condition imparted to our lives. Because without it, we're in the lake of fire for an eternity. Oh thank God that Jesus was willing to sacrifice something that he truly valued for something better. For every single one of us to become the sons and daughters of the most high God. He sacrificed his position with the Father at his right hand. And was willing to do so. And then in Isaiah 53 verses 4 and 5. We're talking about a little bit about healing today. Surely he had borne our griefs, cared our sorrows, yet we did esteem and stricken, smitten of God and afflicted, but he was wounded for our transgressions, he was bruised for our iniquities, the chastisement of our peace was upon him, and with his stripes we are healed. He gave up, yes his spiritual condition, but now he gave up his emotional or mental and physical condition, why? For something better for us. You ready for it? He's nailed to the cross after being severely beaten and whipped. But that's not the fullness of it. God the Father laid on him the iniquities of us all and God the Father laid upon him the stripes praise God by which you and I would be healed so he gave up himself spiritually he gave up himself mentally and emotionally he gave up of himself physically all oh, spirit soul and body why for something better for us so that you and I could be born again in spirit have a sound mind and our bodies praise God could be made whole he gave up all that he was and is that you and I could become what he was and what he is. He was our sin substitute. He took it upon himself. He became the curse so we could be blessed. What a standard. What an example that he has set for every single one of us to follow. And you might be sitting out there thinking, wow, what a task. But you know what? It's line upon line, precept upon precept. He knew we weren't going to all line up instantaneously. He knew that. But little by little, that's why you come to church. That's why you're here. Are you being challenged this morning? Are you really challenged to examine your own self to see whether or not you're leaning so far away that you need to be reeled in? Because if you're not, then I'm just tickling your ears. I know what it's doing to me. What's the conclusion of the matter? I believe that. We have a choice to make, every single one of us. It's our choice as to whether or not we want to submit our attitudes to be Christ-like. It's up to us to make a decision just like Brother Swindoll said. If I choose the right attitude, then what's going to happen is I'm not going to impede my progress. If I don't choose the right attitude, I am going to cripple my progress. I'm not going to succeed like I want to succeed in life. So it's up to us to make a decision, to make the choice. I am going to line up my attitudes to be Christ-like. I'm going to set my attitudes against the plumb line and see whether or not I am building vertically. Now, we can make a decision, I'm going to be a leaning tower of Pisa or I'm going to be a tower of Pisa. I don't want to be a leaning tower, I want to be a tower. I want to be straight and vertical and upright before the Lord my God. So that when I leave this realm of life, praise God, I know that I've got awaiting me on the other side eternal rewards that will follow me in because I chose to deny myself, take up my cross, and follow the living God. Hallelujah. What about you? And also what about this? If he became all that for us and sacrificed that for us so we could become saved, healed, and delivered why wouldn't we want it? Why would we waste it? Think about it. Hallelujah, let's all stand together before the Lord. Hi, Pastor Bill here. I wanna thank you for joining us today. On behalf of my wife, Krista, and Krista Selby Church, I want you to know that we're here to serve you and your family. Whether you have young children or kids in elementary school, if you're a teenager or a young adult, we have a passion to provide a safe and comfortable environment where you can grow in God and build a solid foundation of his love for you. And with that foundation, we encourage you to take the gospel of Jesus Christ with you wherever you go. It is our heart at Christian Assembly to be an outreach, to be the hand of God toward Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the uttermost parts of the world. We want to join as the body of Christ to make one last trumpet call before the final trumpet sound, and through a life of worship bring in a harvest of people. With whatever gifts God has given you, we want you to be free to share those gifts and talents. Life is most fulfilled when we share God's love with others.